0: Good morning. Uh, my name is Pastor John, and um, as I oh, get this out of the way here, you guys take a look at this. Yeah, I'm guessing that there's some of you in this room, you see the title of my sermon, and how many of you guys n- know where that's from? Nice. So immediately, some of you guys do, but most of you guys, oh man, one of my buddies was actually, when I read it to him, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose and it's like, yeah, it's, uh, you go to like, Panda Express and read it off a fortune cookie or something? And I was like, uh, all right, let me explain. Let me educate you. Okay? Uh, the phrase is actually from a popular TV show called Friday Night Lights. And the show follows a high school football team in Texas, specifically the Dillon Panthers. And one of the more compelling characters on the show is the coach. And his name is Coach Taylor. And the legend of this phrase, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. The legend is birthed in the team locker room during halftime of the state championship game. And up until this point, the team throughout the entire season has faced struggle. They faced great difficulty. They were surrounded with immense doubt and uncertainty. They suffered tragic loss. And as all the students, as all the players are on their knees, you can clearly see it in their faces. They're tired. They're exhausted. And all eyes are fixed on Coach Taylor, and they're waiting for him to say something. As if to ask, what are we to do now? And so Coach Taylor glosses over the room, and for the last time, once again, he reminds his players... Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. You know, we're at the end of our series in Hebrews today. And along the way, we have seen the author of Hebrews clearly challenging God's people. And the challenge has been clear. It's to run the race that is the Christian life well. Run it well, with perseverance, endure, live a life that is worthy, a life of acceptable worship, And I'm sure that the hearers of the message at that time immediately felt what we sometimes feel when we hear this high calling for us. When we hear this high calling as sons and daughters of Christ, run after him hard. Live a life that is considered worthy. I don't know about you, but immediately when I hear that, my heart begins to sink. There's this weight and this burden that just sinks my heart as I think about The call that lies ahead. Because when I hear the call, I want to do it. I genuinely, genuinely do. And I've tried so many times. And I don't know about you, but I failed so many times. I have found that I lack the strength to do this, I lack the courage to do this, especially when my life gets rough. But my heart is flooded with doubt and uncertainty. And to be honest, frankly, most of the times, I'm just tired of trying. I've tried it already. You want me to do it again? And so when I hear the Hebrews author issue this call, the immediate question that pops up into my heart is, how? How am I supposed to do this? And I don't think it's an accident that the author of Hebrew ends the letter in this way with one last final reminder for God's sons and daughters. One last final reminder of how we're going to do this. What is it that we need to see? What is it that we need to have absolute clarity on? What do we need to focus on? Who do we cling hard to? Who's going to help me in my time of need? Who's going to give me hope? So we have this one last final reminder. Clear eyes. Full hearts. And when we do, we can't lose. Can't lose. The first thing that I want us to see is clear eyes. What is it that the author doesn't want us to lose sight of? What is it that we must have absolute clarity on in order for us to run this Christian race well? In order for us to do this Christian life well with endurance and perseverance, what is it that we need to see with clear eyes? Take a look at verse 20 with me. He says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. What is it that we must be locked in on? What is it that we must see with clear eyes? Well, the Hebrews author says, initially, that you must see that God is a God of peace. You know, there's a lot of names that are given to God in the Bible. Here are some of the popular ones. God is a God of love. He is a holy God. Pastor John, a couple weeks ago, shared with us at the end of chapter 12 that God is a God that is a consuming fire. But here, the Hebrew authors is very specific to use the title of God of peace. Why? Why would he use that title for him? Well, there's some clues here in the description that are attached to the God of peace. And I want us to start with this description, the blood of the eternal covenant. What is a covenant? It's a very dense, it's a very loaded word. But I think for us, it's important for us to see clearly what this word entails. Because God has always revealed himself to his people. He has always communicated with his people through the relationship of covenant. For example, the Ten Commandments is a covenant document that details the relationship between God and His people. The Ten Commandments, all it really is, is a list of obligations that details our relationships to God. It's a list of obligations, requirements, responsibilities that His people are required to meet. And when those obligations and conditions are met, there is a blessing, there is a reward that awaited God's people. And the reward was namely that God would be our God and that we would be his people. But what about if we fail? What about if we failed these conditions and these requirements? Well, that's an infraction against the covenant relationship. That's what we call sin. Again and again and again, that's sin. And the Bible is very clear that the price, the penalty of sin is death. So right away, we have this tension. We have this lack of peace. This lack of peace that exists between us, his people, and God. And that tension is there because of our sin against him, because we have failed to meet the requirements of the covenant relationship. And that that gap between God and us is a glaring sign to us that there is a debt that needs to be paid. That there is punishment that needs to be paid. That there is no peace. And yet, the Hebrew author here says, clear eyes. Clear eyes. That God is the God of peace. The God of peace that does the work of resolving the tension that exists between God and his people the God of peace that does the work of forgiving our sins, the God of peace that does the work of bringing peace into our broken covenant relationship with him. How? Well, that's the gospel. By sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and bridge the gap, to pay the punishment, to pay the debt that was due, by forgiving us of the debt of our sins, by spilling his blood for us, by dying for us on the cross, or as the, verse 20 puts it, by the blood of the eternal covenant. We've heard that before, that Christ came to pay for our sins. Hopefully you hear that on a weekly basis. But can I challenge you with something real quickly here? Do you really believe that? Can you see with clear eyes the forgiveness that is there for you through Jesus Christ, the one that brings us peace? Do you see it? You know, my wife and I are huge fans of theater, especially musicals. And we had an opportunity a couple years ago to watch Hamilton at the Pantages. How many of you guys heard of the Hamilton? What? Not even half of you? Tell Google, guys. Come on. If you guys don't know, the musical Hamilton follows the life of founding father Alexander Hamilton. And he's the protagonist. He's the guy that you want to root for. But there is a portion of the musical where Hamilton becomes the villain. You see, he's obsessed, he's so ambitious, he's hungry for power. And somewhere along the line, in his pursuit of cementing his own legacy, he becomes reckless. And he commits, he gets into an affair. And it's at that point, his life's slowly starting to fall apart. His marriage is in shambles. His son is killed. And there's this moment where Eliza, Hamilton's wife, and Alexander are trying to get on with their lives. But there's this obvious tension there. There's this obvious lack of peace. There's this obvious need for some kind of reconciliation and some kind of forgiveness. And it's at this moment, this emotional climax, we hear these words. We get a sneak peek into what's going on in Eliza's heart. I wanted to sing it for you guys. Pastor Paul, if you guys know him, was like, don't and he's much wiser than me, so I'm just going to read it for you guys. We hear these words. There are moments that the words don't teach. There is a grace that is too powerful to name. We push away what we can never understand. We push away the unimaginable. Forgiveness can you imagine. You know, rooted in those lyrics is something that I think you and I can all relate to. It's there, hidden in the recesses of our hearts. There's this doubt. Can God really forgive me? There's this deep sense of unbelief. That forgiveness, this this deep, this powerful, this one-sided, it just makes no sense. There's no words for it. And so immediately we just push it away because it's unimaginable. And I wonder if that's a stumbling block for some of us as we think about the forgiveness that God gives to us through His Son. We just can't get ourselves to admit that forgiveness so this good, forgiveness this deep, is possible. But here, right from the get go, the Hebrew author reminds us it's true. And don't forget it. Clear eyes, absolute clarity. God is a God of peace because he sends his son Jesus Christ to spill his blood for us on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven, so that we can have peace with him. But that's not all that God does. Because Jesus does die on the cross, but we celebrate not a dead king, but a resurrected king. A king that is brought back from the dead, also described here as the great shepherd. The shepherd that comes from the dead, that is resurrected, and he comes to give us full hearts. So full hearts. Clear eyes, full hearts. Take a look at the first half of verse 20 again with me. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, a little recap here. God is the God of peace because he reconciles us to himself. He's the God of peace because he brings peace to our relationship on his own by sending his son to pay the price that you and I should have paid, death. But that's only really half of the gospel. And the Hebrews author wants us to, wants to make sure that you and I understand that clearly, that that's only half of it. And the other half is this, that God brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now why is that distinction such an important one? Why is that there for us? For us to see clearly? Because 1 Corinthians 15 tells us Jesus' resurrection from the dead is a sign for us. It's a guarantee for us. It shows us, Jesus resurrecting from the dead shows us that our sins are indeed forgiven. It shows us that Christ's death was actually enough. That his payment was sufficient and that it was final. That there would be no more need for another. And that death was not the end. But that you and I, as sons and daughters of Christ, have access to a new and eternal life with Christ. You know, many people have pointed out here that the Hebrews author is intentionally using this phrase, brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus. All he's doing is he's just borrowing language from Isaiah 63, specifically verses 11 through 14. Because back in Isaiah, in that context, Isaiah is talking about Moses, also called the shepherd. And in that context, Moses is bringing out from the sea, the Red Sea, God's people, the sheep. And in that context, what we know is that Moses was the shepherd bringing God's people, bringing God's sheep out of bondage and slavery in Egypt into a new life of freedom. And in borrowing the language here in Hebrews chapter 13, what the author is trying to say is in the same way that Moses was the shepherd that brought God's people out of slavery and bondage, Jesus is the new and great shepherd. That is bringing people, God's people, out of slavery to sin and death into a new and eternal life with him. Jesus is, not the, is, is the one who not only pays for our sin by spilling his blood for us, but he is also the great shepherd that leads us into new life, that calls us into new life. And not just any life, but John 10 tells us. And John 10 is where we get the imagery of Jesus as the great shepherd John 10 tells us that Jesus is the shepherd that comes to give us life and to have it to the full. He comes to give us full life with full hearts. What does that look like for us, though? What does it mean to live a our Instagrams? Just 30 seconds on it will tell us what our society thinks a full life and full heart looks like. Just go ahead and Scroll you'll see pictures of what people believe to be a full life. Beautiful family in a beautiful, pristine house with a beautiful and clean front and backyard with an adorable puppy. Or going on lavish, these luxurious vacations that other people can't afford to go to. Or having a job that allows my family to just, I just want to be comfortable. But can we all just save some time here and agree that that's not what the Bible says a full life looks like? That's not what the Bible says a full heart is comprised of. What is it then? What does a full life look like? What does a full heart look like? You know, we've been going through the book of Hebrews since September of last year. It's a pretty long time. And there have been many things that have popped out of the pages. There are many things that have been impressed upon to my heart. But whenever I think about the book of Hebrews and our hike through it, I just get this impression that God is just stamping and hammering into my heart the idea of Hebrews 12. He's just jamming it in there. Specifically the idea of running with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He just keeps reminding me, this is for you. This is what I want you to remember. I feel like God is reminding me, John, this is the full life that I have for you. This is the full life that I want for my children. This is the full life that I want for my sons and daughters. For you to run the race that is set before you as my son. And as my son, I want you to run the race of looking more and more like me as your father. I want you to look like me. In the way that you walk, in the way that you speak, in the way that you live your life as your father, As my son, as my daughter, I want you to look like me. And he says, I'm going to give you everything that you're going to need for you to do this. I'm going to equip you with everything so that you can do this. Take a look at the first half of verse 21 with me. He continues, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. You know the verb here, the word equip here, it actually has a deeper and more fuller meaning in the original language. The word equip here carries the meaning of to mend, to fix, to take what is broken and put it back together again to make complete, to make whole. And I love that idea because it's almost as if the Hebrew author understands the state of my heart, the state of our hearts, that when it comes to looking like our Father, when it comes to doing what our Father does, we're just all over the place. We're broken. We don't even come close. We failed over and over and over again. We're Filled with failure after failure, insecurity after another, but God's look at what's broken, put us back together and put us back on our feet so that we can run the race after Him. His promise to us is that He will come and take what is broken and make it whole again. Come into our lives and take what is fractured, take what is incomplete and complete us. He will take what is empty. And he will make it full. Clear eyes. Don't lose sight of, have absolute clarity on this that God is the God of peace, full hearts. That God brings Jesus Christ the great shepherd back from the dead and calls us into full lives, full hearts by mending us, completing us, giving us everything that we need so that we can live the life that He wants for us as His Father. Look more and more like Him. And when we truly understand these two things, there's just no way that we can lose. Can't lose. Take a look at verse 21 again with me and we'll end here. He says, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The literal translation here to this section is equip you with everything good that you may do his will. And here's the little distinction, doing in us that which is pleasing in his sight. There's a pastor named John Piper, and he puts it best, and most simply, I think, when he says it like this. So I stole this from him. He says, we do his will. And when we do it, we find out that he is the doer. In our doing, he is doing. If I can draw this out, what I think he's trying to get at is when you and I are running the race of looking more and more like our Father, when you and I are running the race of looking more and more like Christ, what we will find is that while we are running, if we look down, we will just see that Christ is carrying us. and He is carrying us on his shoulders. That in our running, that it's him that is actually doing the running. It is he who is carrying us. And can I be, just tell you, the, this is the greatest news for someone like me and maybe someone like you. Because what that means for us is that ultimately life is not about what we do. It's not about our success. It's not about how obedient I've been to God this week. It's not about how faithful I've been to God this week. It's not about how this week I was a great husband or a great father. It's not about that. And yet, even better, it's not about our failures either. It's not about how many times I've messed up this week, how many times I've slipped up. It's not about how many times I've let my pride get the best of me this week. It's not about how I, I just blew up in a fit of anger and rage. It's not about how many times this week I lost focus of who God is, where I've become distracted. It's not about that. And because it's not based on what we do, It's not based on our failures or our success. If it's not based on what we've done, but what God has done through Jesus Christ, then the promise for us is that we can never lose. Because Christ has already run the race for us. Because Christ has already won the battle for us. Crossway, clear eyes. Don't forget. Don't lose focus of the God who has already brought us eternal peace and is mending us. He's putting us back together. He's taking our broken and empty hearts and calling us into a full life with full hearts. The life of running after him and looking more and more like him in all the things that we do, not out of our own doing, but through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we can rest in that, when we find our grounding in that, when we find our identity in that, the promise is we can never, ever lose. Let me pray for us.